If you see it, God bless you as you give.
give them a hand. Thank you so much. Praise the Lord. Thank you for that wonderful, wonderful song of comfort, knowing that we've got the Lord watching over us, taking care of us, and we don't have any reason to fear. I'm glad that you've come out tonight. You've got your Bibles with you, and praise God, this is an old-fashioned Bible-believing Bible preaching church. My father has been in heaven now for about 11 years my dad was a great one among uh, uh, his skills as a pastor and uh, a great people person, wonderful, wonderful man of God, spiritual man, kindest man I've ever known in my life. But my, my dad had a green thumb. He could make things grow. Now, he did not pass that along to me. I make things die. I can't help it. But uh, he had a green thumb, and he knew how to graft trees, and he knew how to how to produce the best fruit. And some of the homes in which he lived, he would have trees, various grafted varieties of trees, various hybrid trees and so forth. And uh, he had fruit trees that would bring forth all manner of fruit. It was like something out of the, the Garden of Eden or the book of the Revelation. I don't know. He was just, he was good about it. But my dad could look at a tree and tell you what it was. He could tell you what kind of fruit would come from that tree. I, on the other hand, I look at a tree and I could guess. And that's the best that I can do. But for me to know for sure what variety of a tree I might be looking at, I would have to see the fruit that comes from that tree. So you've got to wait for the season when the fruit actually is born by the tree before I will know what kind of a tree that it is. You know, the Lord told us that that's exactly how it is with things that we call religious. The greatest fear that I have and the greatest danger I think that this world faces in these last days is not from a frontal assault by the devil, but rather by a subtle attack by the world, the flesh, and the devil in presenting religious counterfeits as the real thing. And the only way to really know if a religious thing is real and not fake is by the fruit. That's it. So we, folks, 
We don't go around examining every individual's fruit because that's not our job. I'm not here to inspect the fruit of the individual to see if that person is actually saved. That's not my job. That is a misuse of that passage of Scripture. But it certainly has something to do with my discernment in these last days. We're on the home stretch. I don't want to be fooled. I want to be part of a church, part of a Christian uh, effort that is genuine. I want to be side by side, shoulder to shoulder with those who believe the book and follow in the old paths. I don't want to be fooled. I don't want to have uh, something pulled over my eyes. We are in desperate need of a revival. And we know, of course, that the Old Testament model for the revival that is often quoted is in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. Now Solomon, I realize that this is a different dispensation, but the principle, I think, hold. If my people, in this case would be Bible believers in this age, which are called by my name shall humble themselves. That's the, that's the first step. And pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. In this society, there is salt and there is light. But if the salt has lost its savor, it's good for nothing but to be trodden underfoot. The light needs to brightly burn and not be hidden under a bushel. We have an opportunity to impact uh, our families, our neighborhoods, our society to the degree that we can influence and be a witness. It's important that we are consistent. We cannot ever hope to win anybody if we're living just like the lost, if we're thinking like the lost, if we're talking like the lost, if we're associating like the lost, if we're recreating like the lost, if whatever we're doing is like the lost, how can we ever expect the lost to come to Christ? We need an old-fashioned, Holy Ghost-sent revival. That's why the choir sang tonight, Revive us in these last days, Lord. Christians need your power in this desperate hour. Revive us in these last days, Lord. Revival is not when a bunch of people get saved. Revival may result in Christians getting right and then becoming the soul winners that God intends us to be. But we have to be right with God. Revival is a redoing of something. To vive means to make alive. To revive means to bring back, to rekindle the flame, to bring back the fervency. We need a return to the fervency. We've lost a major defection of those in younger generations and young adult generations and now middle-aged generations and even those who've reached senior adult age. We've lost a major defection of those who would otherwise be a part of fundamental Bible-believing circles because even though we attempt to tell the truth and be right on the doctrine, sometimes we're deader than four o'clock in the morning. Can I get an amen on that? Bunch of people have gone elsewhere, even though the doctrine is not right, because they've seen something that at least flickers and looks like life. Let's wake 
up. Let's get revived. Now, you cannot work up a revival. But I believe that we can be obedient to God. And then the atmosphere will be conducive for God to generously and graciously send revival upon us. Would you agree with that assessment? I believe that's the way it is. We can't work up revival, but we can meet God's terms and beg Him for revival. How many, honestly, don't raise your hands. How many of you honestly put on your prayer list every day, revive us in these last days, Lord? We don't do it. It's an afterthought. It's down the list from whatever our immediate needs are. And Lord bless Aunt Mary and Uncle Fred. We want all of these things that are close to us to come to pass. Meanwhile, we're sitting in the spiritual cold and we wonder why we're about to have spiritual frostbite. We need to have a rekindling of the old time fires of revival. And then we'll have some evangelism as well. And praise God for it. Would you turn with me also to the, those verses that we have used so frequently about evangelism? And I think there is a key here. We're going to have, I think, a key or a principle that will apply both ways. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. The Lord Jesus is addressing His disciples, the apostles, as He's getting ready to ascend. And He says, But ye shall receive power, dunamis. It's related to that which is dynamic or that which is dynamite. It's powerful. It's a resource. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. What happened on the day of Pentecost was an empowerment. All right, read on. And ye shall be witnesses unto me. A witness is someone who tells what he or she has seen and knows. Unto both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. This, of course, is a missionary pattern, but it's to take place simultaneously. But nothing, look at me, nothing takes place unless we've got God's power unleashed. We need God's power in this desperate hour. Revive us in these last days, Lord. If you're taking notes and you write in your Bible or you're writing on the end sheet of your Bible or you're writing on a notebook, a lady showed me this morning, she's been coming to church here now five, six Sundays, and she showed me, she said, Pastor, I had to go out and buy a notebook just so I could keep up. And so she's writing the notes in there, praise God. But in Acts 1.8, we first of all have a promise ye shall receive. When God says shall, He doesn't mean maybe. He says you shall receive power. How many of us have claimed that promise? We have a promise right here. You shall receive power. The other night, we're out there at the soul winning booth. We had a little lull. Remember this? Called all the troops together. I said, oh God, fill us with your spirit. Give us an outpouring. Right then it started to come. You see, them, you see them come? They came like a flood. They came like a flood. Ye shall receive power. So that's a promise. We have the provision, which is the power, the dunamis. That's number two. Number three, we have the person of the Holy Spirit. This is God, the third person of the Trinity. He dwells within us if we're saved. 
We need to give him prominence. Now, he doesn't take the preeminence over Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, but he is the empowering one. Number four, the priority. This is it. Ye shall be witnesses. We are going to die out in a generation if we do not accept the priority. And then we have the program. Starts at Jerusalem, right where you are. You win the one next to you, and I'll win the one next to me, like we sang this morning. That's it. Now, I believe this. We've got to have God send revival so that the fire is rekindled, so that we seek the power that I've just mentioned, and we become the soul winners, the consistent soul winners that we ought to be. I've taught youth ministry for years, and I learned from uh, pastor, youth pastor Don Nelson back at the Fourth Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota, the youth program that produces leaders. He called it the youth program that works, but it's a youth program that produ produces leaders. And what he said was, it's, it's like this, after a person has met Jesus Christ, then the next thing is, we have to accept the disciplines of the Word of God, all right? Accept the disciplines of the Word of God and separate from the flesh and the world in order to become consistent soul winners. So three sides of that triangle. Unless we are separated from the world and unto Christ and we've accepted the disciplines of the Word of God, we will never be consistent soul winners. Are we willing to meet God's terms? to separate unto Christ and from the world? Are we willing to submit to the disciplines of the Word of God to become a consistent soul winner? I want to do this full time. I want to do this all the time, wherever I am. I want to go forth like Dr. Walter Wilson used to say, he that goeth forth with a leaky seed basket. I want to spread the seed everywhere and win the souls around me, and then all those further out, and in the next county, the next region, the next part of the world, and the uttermost parts of the earth. That's what I believe God wants us to do. But I believe the devil is so nasty tonight, listen to me, so nasty, that his favorite way of working is to undermine the believers. I believe he is more interested. He's already got people going to hell. So those of us who are not going to hell and cannot go to hell because we're saved, he wants to undermine us. He wants to neutralize us. He, what he does is he brings something out of context from this book. I love my Bible tonight. How many of you love your Bible? I love my Bible. I love, I love the Savior of the Bible, but I love my Bible. And the devil is so sneaky and so nasty. And he knows that most fundamental Bible-believing churches are not on fire all the time. So what he does is he will take a scripture out of context and make it seem to be something that it is not and confuse people. And guess what? Because they don't see the fire, they don't feel the heat right here where the doctrine is right. They'll go someplace where the doctrine is wrong. Instead, they're feeling something that's like heat. Just because, they learned this in the Old Testament, just because it's fire doesn't mean it's God's fire. 
It could be wildfire. It could be the devil's fire. They found out in Moses' day, didn't they? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, let me take you where we're going with this in a short space of time. 1 Corinthians, of course. It's amazing to me the people who are wrong in doctrine go to passages of Scripture in which a wrong doctrine or a wrong teaching is being addressed and trying to be corrected, and they'll lift a Scripture out of context to try to make it mean something else. I, I just, I'm amazed by this. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse number 8, it says, Charity never faileth. God's agape love will always be with us. I mean, it will always be with us. But, everybody understand? Change of tone. There's a contrast. But, whether there be prophecies, that is the apostolic miracle of being able to utter prophetic truth, which is tantamount to Scripture. Whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. They shall stop. They shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, not, not just knowing something like 2 plus 2 is 4, but supernatural apostolic knowledge. That's what it's speaking of. It shall vanish away. There it is. And right in the middle, whether there be what? Tongues. Say it. Tongues. Now, this Bible was translated in 1611. In 1611, if you said tongues, you were talking about languages. They talked about the English tongue, the Spanish tongue, the French tongue. It is language. A language has grammar, order, and syntax. A language has grammar, order, and syntax. Is everybody with me? All right, so is charity ever going to pass away? No, it doesn't matter what age it is, doesn't matter what country it is, doesn't matter what gender you are, doesn't matter who you are, where you're from. Is charity ever going to pass away? Say no. No. But, but, whether there be supernatural prophecies, utterances that are equal to, that is in addition to the written scripture, they shall what? What does it say? They shall fail. And after that, it says, whether there be knowledge, that's supernatural, apostolic knowledge, it shall vanish away. And right in the middle, it says, tongues shall cease. The miraculous gift of speaking in the apostolic age in a language that a person never learned, either growing up or learned going to school, the gift of that language in order to convey the truth, that particular gift shall cease, the Bible says. If I were the devil, here's what I would do. I would get a bunch of people in Baptist churches to say, it's so dead around here, I'm going to go find some places that is alive. And they would wander over to our friends at the Assemblies of God or our friends over at the Apostolic Church or our friends over the Pentecostal Church or our friends over at the Charismatic Church, some of whom are saved. I am not attacking your salvation. But over there, they would see all of a sudden all kinds of people standing up at once in violation of the Scripture and talking in a variety of gibberish, of utterances, of syllables coming out. And they would say, that's my prayer tongue. 
That's my prayer language. That's tongues rather than thinking languages, grammar, syntax, and order, and so forth. If I were the devil, I'd get a bunch of people to go there and think that was it. That's the top of the mountain. That's the summit. Why, we got people, they're doing New Testament tongues. Why, there's New Testament prophecies. There's a guy standing up there saying, God is speaking to me right now. It's the same thing as Scripture. Here it is. It's a prophecy. Or they get some guy who would say, I have a knowledge. Somebody right out here has arthritis. Well, I promise you right now, I don't have the gift of supernatural apostolic knowledge. But I know for a fact, somebody, don't raise your hand. Somebody in this crowd right over here has arthritis. And it hurts. And how many of you have arthritis? Raise your hands over here. Raise your hands. One, two, three, four. Do you have arthritis, Dorian? Hey, buddy, I'll pray for you. Okay. Arthritis, okay? Let me think. Let me try. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Your name back there is, um, um, it starts with an M. Is it Mark? 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 No. Mike? Mike? Is it Mike? Is it Mike? Yes! Glory to God. Mike, you, you have arthritis. That's right. And, and it's in your, it's in, is it in your back? I, no, 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 no. It's in your back. That's right. Now, I don't rule out the fact that some people who have spiritual needs actually get some help and some relief. I don't rule that out. I'm not going to say how it happens. That's not my business. What I'm going to say is that there are a lot of desperate people who are looking for something that is glitzy and glamorous and exciting. And if they don't find it, where the Bible is being taught in its proper context... Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. They will go someplace and they will find where it seems to be alive, where there's some kind of fire. There you go. We are not charismatic. We, we do get excited around here from time to time. We've been singing about the Holy Spirit tonight. We've been talking about how we need the fullness of the Holy Spirit to be soul winners. But Satan is the author of confusion. You will notice with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse number 33. It says, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. All right? So if God is not the author of confusion, then the devil is. It's just that simple. And what are we supposed to be doing? The summary of these chapters in verse 40 of chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians is, let all things be done decently and in order. Yes, let there be life. Yes, let there be vitality. Yes, let's get excited about Jesus and about good things. But let us not go off some rabbit trail because we don't see or feel the fire, the power that we think ought to be there. I know that every believer is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. That's true. We need to have the fullness of the Spirit in our life. Ephesians 5.18, And be not drunk with wine when it is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. We need that fullness. Now you say, do I not have all of the Spirit? The question is, does the Spirit have all of you? Does the Holy Spirit have all of you? We need Holy Spirit empowering in this wicked world. We we have headlines screaming about shootings and violence and hate. 
We cry out, Lord, send us a revival. There's way too much confusion out there. Brent Muller, who is in South Africa as our missionary, writes a letter to inform us of regrettable news. A young man that he invested his heart and life in went behind his back and tried to draw people away and say, contrary to their, their doctrine and their standards, that everybody should be talking in glossolalia and that women should be pastors. And lo and behold, they've had to go through some church discipline, and he's just heartbroken because he's put his life, his heart, his time into people. And i got to tell you, after 50 years of being in the ministry, I've seen a lot of people come and go, and it is heartrending to see when people are drawn away, looking for a shortcut or whatever. So we can't, we can't, um, well, I, I see this is not isolated. I see all too common. I see, I see the cults and the charismatics and the confused drawing people away from Bible preaching churches. I see this all the time. But we can't, in this day of grace, we're not allowed to hang sheep thieves. But we can identify them as the hirelings that they are. Satan's little helpers. We can expose them. Let me say this. You may get some good out of it. But by and large, Christian TV, so-called, is a traffic jam of religious hucksters elbowing their way for prominence hoping to, to draw upon uh, the gullible. P.T. Barnum said, a sucker's born every minute, and we Christians tend to be extra trusting. Part of the blame is ours because we at least do not appear to be on fire all the time. So folks do like they did in the Old Testament. They go after strange fire because they figure some fire is better than no fire. But if it's strange fire, it's not better. Beware. I've got many Pentecostal and charismatic friends. Right now, I've got to tell you, I appreciate their enthusiasm. I appreciate some of the good things that they stand for. But there's a lot of confusion there. God does not intend for us to take the filling of the Holy Spirit and in place of that have an ecstatic experience that does not result in lost folks coming to Christ and Christians living holy lives. And what did I say about fruit on the tree? Fruit on the tree. I could subtitle tonight's message, My Friend Jimmy Swaggart Was Wrong. As I've heard him stand up, and let me just say this, before he fell, I appreciated the hard stand he took against communism. And the hard stand he would take preaching against, you know, a lack of holiness. When he himself had a secret life, Behind the scenes. I felt so bad about it. I was sitting on the platform in a great conference in the Philippines when the word came that he had fallen the first time. And I said, oh no. And Wally Beebe was sitting next to me. He said, what do you mean? I said, Jimmy Swaggart was just caught in sin. And he said, and what does that have to do with us? I said, every time we knock on a door from now on, they're going to say, lousy preacher, worldly preacher, compromising preacher, they're going to use that. And I found that to be true many times. But I heard Jimmy Swaggart say this, we believe in the baptism of the Holy Ghost with evidence of speaking in other tongues, glossolalia. If I heard it once, I heard it dozens of times from Jimmy. But he got it wrong because that's a sidetrack. See, if you're excited about Jesus, you want to tell the world how to be saved. You're not going to try to talk them into an ecstatic experience. 
You're going to tell them about Jesus who saves, keeps, and satisfies. My Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. But what that means for me is I'm still saved today. I can't lose it. I'm still on the right path today by God's grace. So many times people get off on the wrong motivation and the wrong methods and the wrong message looking for life or what appears to be life or fire, what appears to be fire, something that's lively, but oftentimes it turns out to be shallow or even deadly. I'm very interested in the difference between what's true and what's phony. And I know, I realize many people are going to hear this message. But when we looked at Acts 1-8, we saw something that's real. When we looked at 2 Chronicles 7-14, we saw something that's real. My one of my mentors, Dr. Lee Robertson, used to say there are seven meaningful works of the Holy Spirit. And he went to John chapter 14, 15, and 16. And here's what he said. He shall teach you all things. He shall bring all things to your remembrance. He shall testify of me, Jesus. He will reprove the world. He will guide you into all truth. He will show you things to come. He shall glorify me. There's nothing in there about feel-good religion. I talk to people all the time. And they've gone over that direction. And I've actually heard people say to me, they ought to know better, but they say, don't confuse me with the facts. I know what I felt. Don't confuse me with that doctrine because I know what I experienced. And they put feelings over facts and they put experience over doctrine. And those people are not wicked. They're just simply shallow and misled. Contemporary Charismatics believe that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues. And we realize that what the Scripture refers to in that experience is when we were saved, when we received Jesus Christ, we were introduced into a spiritual entity and we became part of that. We were, that was the baptism that is referred to. They believe all Christians should seek out speaking in tongues. And I'm going to ask some questions that you cannot answer in just a moment. They believe those who do not seek it and do not receive that experience of speaking in glossolalia, all these different sounds, these utterances coming out, are somehow inferior to them. They're second class. They're weak. But the tongues of the Bible never were unintelligible jibber-jabber. They were known languages. Read Acts chapter 2. All those languages, cloven tongues, like as a fire over them. You never see that in a tongues meeting, do you? And every man heard him speak in his own language, Acts chapter 2. Those languages are listed. Once again, every man in our own tongue wherein we were born. The tongue that they learned that they were born in. Now that gift of languages in the early church served a purpose, put it down, in the absence of the written and completed revelation of God known as the New Testament. That's it. Back to 1 Corinthians very quickly. 1 Corinthians and chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. For we know in part, verse 9, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. Charismatics and Pentecostals say, the tongues will be active, what they call tongues, jibber-jabber, until Jesus comes back because He's the one that's perfect. One problem with that, this is not in the masculine gender. 
It is in the neuter gender. It refers to a thing and not to a person. When that which is perfect is come, that which is in part shall be done away. What is perfect that has come? Look up here. This book is perfect. This book is complete. 66 books. It's complete. Once you get 66 books, you no longer need apostolic sign gifts. That's it. There are not two kinds of tongues. There is but one kind of tongue. In Bible college, my philosophy teacher was Dr. M. James Hollowood, perhaps one of the smartest men that ever graced Christendom. He said when he was first saved in the state of New York, he went to various tongues meetings. And there he heard a lot of things. But being the master of many, many languages, he heard somebody that was purported to be speaking in tongues, and yet that person was actually controlled by a demon. They were speaking fluent French, and they were swearing, cussing. He said it was worse than a sailor. And yet that was supposedly, supposedly a ministry of tongues that he witnessed. And someone stood up and said an interpretation, supposedly what the person was saying, but it was the French language, and it was a demon speaking through the person and cussing vile language. That is not the case in every situation. I've been in the presence of those who have spoken in an unintelligible tongue, they say. And they're just simply sincere people that get worked up and they believe that that release is actually something they're talking to God and God knows what it means. And so their intentions are good, but it's not what the Bible defines as tongues. Those things that were real have now ceased. Agape will not cease. But that thing that we're talking about, the gift of languages, has ceased. Paul had the right emphasis. In 1 Corinthians 14, 19, he said, Yet in the church I'd rather speak five words with my understanding, that by my voice I might teach others also, than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue, a tongue that people wouldn't know otherwise. That which was perfect is the Bible. We now have it. We no longer need the gift of of languages, and praise God for that truth. There are those today, because there is not fire in the pulpit, fire in the church, fire in the heart, fire in the soul winning, they're looking for the spectacular. They're looking for the visible. Let me tell you, I want it to be genuine fire. I want it to be fire from God. Here's a challenge from a man who was mentored under our ministry. He's gone on to pastor very successfully, and he wrote down these questions that cannot be answered by those who claim that they are proponents of and adherents to the tongues movement. Here's the challenge. Is there any place in Scripture that tells us to seek the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Is there any place in Scripture that tells us to seek the baptism of the Holy Spirit? The answer is no. Not one place in this Bible. Not one place. In 66 books, not one place in 1,100 and some chapters. Is there any place in Scripture that implies that Christians who do not speak in tongues are somehow defective? The answer is no. No. Not one place in 66 books, over 1,100 chapters, is there any place in Scripture that implies that Christians who do not speak in tongues are somehow defective? Question number three. Is there a biblical record where any woman in the Bible ever spoke in tongues? And the answer is no. There's no biblical record of any woman that ever spoke in tongues 
in the Bible. Before I continue with this, let me share what John Walvoord has shared with me in his book. He says this, Apparently, the Christians in Corinth were speaking repeatedly in tongues without interpretation, mimicking the Grecian pagan oracles of the time. Such pagan speech, which they did, you know, gibberish, frequently, frequently characterized the speaking in tongues movement that has gained widespread acceptance and attention in the century. If Paul's regulations were observed, much of the current movement would disappear. And I agree with John Walvoord on that, how important that is. I also agree with what Dr. Rice concludes. He says, because we've been fighting the abuse of this so much, we have not been allowing the Lord to use us in the proper way as we ought. We ought to be filled with the Spirit. We ought to be powerful, on fire Christians 24-7. We ought to have a revival going on. We ought to see God working through us. Question number four from one I mentored. Does the New Testament allow tongue speaking with no interpreter present? The answer is no. God forbids it. Question number five. Is there any record that angels ever spoke in any language in the Bible other than the languages of men? And the answer is no. They speak the languages of earth. Next question. Do the writings of the New Testament emphasize the need to speak in tongues or do they de-emphasize it? The answer is they de-emphasize it because it was temporary and it's passing off the scene. Every one of us, we got our baptism. We came in to this thing when we got saved and praise God. By grace, through faith, we've got that. I'm not second class. God loved me so much that He gave His only begotten Son to die for me. And He has given me the opportunity to win precious souls and to live for Him and to embody spiritual holiness as the Holy Spirit has control and Christ directs my life. There is nothing second class when, when they say, well, you haven't got it. Just like the, the guy that wrote the letter to John R. Rice and made him sound like, well, it's too bad you haven't got it. It's too bad you haven't come to that level. I got to say right now, that that is absolutely false according to the Bible. And it is carnal on the part of anybody to brag on the fact that they speak in gibberish and they think they've got something that I haven't got. I've got the fullness of the Holy Spirit. I'm so glad I've got a finished Bible, a completed perfect Bible. We've got the opportunity from now until when Jesus takes us home at the rapture to win every soul that we possibly can. How many of you tonight, God helping you, you want to be filled with the Spirit, you want to pass out as many tracts as you can, you want to share as much of the gospel with as many people as you possibly can, you want to share the joy of Jesus, you don't want to go around being doom and gloom and, and mean and nasty all the time, but you want to share the love of Jesus, raise your hand up high, come on. Amen! Amen! Let it be so. Father, I pray you'll bless us now. Help us as we get ready to leave this place in victory with heads bowed and eyes closed and nobody looking. How many of you tonight would say, Preacher, God spoke to my heart about something. Now, maybe it was that God spoke to your heart about being on fire with real Holy Spirit fire, really having revival, really being filled with the Spirit, really sharing Jesus Christ, really living out Jesus Christ in separation and holiness. Maybe he spoke to you about one of those things. Maybe he spoke to you about something else. How many tonight would raise your hand with me? God spoke to my heart tonight. Yes. God wants us to be on fire. Absolutely. It may be tonight that you're hearing my voice and you never received Jesus Christ as your Savior. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Would you pray right now where you are? Something like this. Dear God, 
I admit that I'm a sinner. I deserve to pay for my sins. I believe Jesus died to save me. Right now, I receive the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart as my personal Savior. Please take away my sins and take me to heaven when I die. If you just prayed that prayer and meant it, slip your hand up so I can see it right now. God bless you. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. And as we, in just a moment, begin to sing a great, great song,